no one in their worst nightmares ever imagines or, or, or sort of plans for a global pandemic. We're lucky in a way because I think our our offer is 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 quite its destination. You know, we are we're not just, we're not reliant on selling lots of beer. Which, you know, it's the highest you know spend per head on the drinks. It's cocktail led. Sure. Uh, cocktails have grown enormously since since, since uh, the pandemic. I've always naturally enjoyed being with people. And I feel very lucky because it's in hospitality it encompasses so many passions, which is you know, food, drink, travel, property, interior design, mm. uh, people, you know, as a people business. And so you know it is, it is, it is an amazing an amazing sector. There was this bar uh, just there, and so like, you know, have we lost the plot? And I remember actually drinking a drink spray. I sort of I met this drinks product and sort of sold them this, this dream of Narnia, the secret bar. Our eating habits are changing. We're demanding better dining experiences, and the food market has never been so competitive. Starting and succeeding with a food business is challenging, but some determined and passionate entrepreneurs are flourishing. These people have big dreams, big passion and big drive. They are disruptors, change makers and innovators. They see a positive future. Many say that food business is too risky. Some say that it has huge rewards. Are you up for the challenge? Well, Charlie, thanks for being on the show. Oh, I know you're, so you're you're a busy man. I know you've got a new opening this yeah, weekend as well. Did you? Yeah, okay. So I was there last night. I uh, had the cust first customers into the London Gin Club, uh, which felt great. Nice to see people other than builders in there. Yeah. And uh, we sort of yeah just did some previews, and then next next week we we opened the diaries. So um, no, it was good. It's it's a really Amazing. lovely atmosphere. We actually just opened the doors last night to see what would happen. Okay. Um, and a few. People stumbled in, and the staff got used to making some drinks and running through the, the glass washers and all those sure. things. No massive leaks or sure. big disasters. Yeah, no, it's really exciting to see Amazing. that one develop. Actually, Amazing. It must be great to, I guess, flip the mindset now and the the kind of the vision towards the future. Um, obviously, as opposed to the last eighteen months, like how was that experience, oh. and how did you get through it? It's been, yeah, it's been incredibly tough. I think no one in their worst nightmares ever imagines or, or, or sort of plans for a global pandemic. It was never in our risk analysis. You know, I think the very worst, we thought there might be a recession and a downturn in the economy, um, or, you, you know, you might have a licensing issue in a single site. But yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was, it was you know, definitely the, the hardest year and a half of my life. Um, yeah. I think the sector was, was obviously hit very, very hard. I think, you know, we're obviously more drink-led. We don't have a big delivery element. We did do some cocktail deliveries, but you know, we we, we essentially went down, you know, for a long period to, to zero revenue. Mm. And it wasn't really until the nineteenth of July that we could trade all of our sites and operate at full capacities. But it's really nice. I feel like we're in recovery now. I feel like we're back looking at you know all the detail that we need to. And actually, you know, I love all the sourcing and stuff from Kempton Market for the sites and getting back into that. And it was just yeah, it felt really positive to have the gin club to to sort of look forward to. And it was it was a site we saw pre-COVID. And, you know, it's like we really loved um, and we kind of were about to do a deal and then obviously couldn't. Um, and actually, moves, you know, my business partner was, was kind of keeping the conversation alive um, at a point where I was very much just 
thinking, you know, the, the world is going to end. Yeah. I'm very glad he did. And, you know, I think, you know, you, re you really see the centre of London coming back now. Um, okay. You know, so every time I go into Soho or, or, or the centre of town, it's, it's busier than it was the week before. So. Absolutely, absolutely. And how did you react initially? Because obviously you're a group with multiple brands, multiple yeah. locations, landlords, uh, different teams of staff. Like, what did you focus on initially? Was it reducing costs and trying to survive? or? Yeah, I think it's... You know, I've got to be honest, we were in complete shock, you know, initially. Mm. Um, and we, we saw we had a bit of a canary in the coal mine. So in the middle of February, we started seeing some of our corporate business cancel. So we had, okay. like, we, we do this event every year with a big American TV network, and they come over, and they cancelled, and then we do some rather big media businesses. They have sort of three-day conferences, and they hired out our venues for the evenings. Okay. And it involved people traveling from, you know, from Asia, from America, and those things went early. And, you know, those, those was having, you know, going to have quite a big effect on us. To mm. the that was revenue, recurring revenue that had been there for years. So we started seeing that, but our, our average consumer didn't really behave any differently until the weekend before the borrowers got up on that Monday and said at 6 p.m., you know, do not go to bars, clubs, and sort of social venues. Mm. But the weekend before, it sort of, we'd seen probably a 20% decline. Okay. At that point, you know, we realised we had to we had to close. It wasn't responsible to be sending our staff in, and yeah, it was just it was like you know, it's interesting. Something I think hasn't been spoken about a lot. It's luckily when when that happened, sort of in the middle of March or early to middle of March, we we you know, hadn't got to the end of the you know the the, the quarter because actually the end of the quarter is when all your rents are due because mm. you pay in advance and your and your HMRC dues, you know. So luckily that hadn't gone out. So it was just yeah, it was pure you know managing cash flow. Um, you know, managing costs, stopping direct debits, um, you know, trying to reassure our staff, you know, we, we didn't make any decisions until we'd, you know, we heard these rumours about furlough and I know, you know, Kate Nichols did an amazing job pressing the government. Mm. And yeah, and so, yeah, then, you know, pretty much everything went to hibernation. Okay. Went, went in, staff went into furlough and, and we kept a small team on, you know, someone from maintenance to keep the venues, you know, ticking over in terms of, you know, that there weren't any kind of big leaks or disasters and you know try to keep up sort of a regularish communication but it was like you know it was, it was really hard because you, you couldn't really offer the staff reassurance at that stage that you wanted to yeah there's so much uncertainty yeah you, know, you wanted to put your arm around them and go guys everything's going to be absolutely fine you know yeah. but we, I, I, I couldn't in good conscience say that because you just you know you've got to remember this is pre-vaccine you know did, i just didn't know how long this was going to going to be there and, sure. then, and then it was just working with our lender you know getting a c-bill loan Working with our landlords, and I have to say, you know, I think, I think, I think landlords get a really um, hard time, and you know, get portrayed as villains a lot in this. We you know our landlords and all were really, really fair to us. You know, big institutions like Shaftesbury, like British Land, uh, Legal in general. You know, they 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 behaved they behaved really, really well. On the whole. Okay. Um, and you know, they were they were very good, and I think you know well, they wanted us to survive and be the other end. You know, we had a sure. couple of independents who who who, who weren't so fair. Um, but I think, you know, we, we, were, we were lucky in that sense. Yeah. And then it was sort of, yeah, it was sort of July the 4th, uh, 2020, where we thought it was the big reopening. And at that stage, we sort of thought, who's going to be around? You know, who, who's in the centre of London? You've got no theatres, no people on the offices, you've got no tourists. Mm. So we, we did open, and actually we were, we didn't open everything at once. We only opened one venue on that first Saturday, which they sort of had dubbed Super Saturday. And actually we were, we were pleasantly surprised, you know, it was busier than we thought. People were travelling in. You know, the demographic was certainly younger. You know, people, there was no one over 50 there. Okay. Um, 
And we sort of had, yeah, so they, they, everything started opening more from, 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 from that period and onwards. Um, and then September, the restrictions started coming in. So sure. first it was the rule of six. Then it was uh, the 10 p.m. curfew. Then it was you had to eat a scotch egg, you know, <laughs> with, with, with every drink. And, yeah. You know, it got harder and harder. And actually, you know, the government had this way of leaking things to the press the night before. And actually, mm. I used to, I used to every night look on Twitter, and there's a, there's a hashtag called Tomorrow's Papers Today, and you can see tomorrow's front pages around 10:30 they get released. In the okay. Evening. And you'd almost learn your fate through, you know, what man, what man, not Matt Hancock, Matt Hancock um, yeah. had, in, had in store for you. Yeah. Um, and I said to someone, you, you felt like almost a bull in a bull ring and every restriction was like another spear in your back. Okay. And actually there was, there was, there was some sort of comfort in eventually being locked down because actually it became harder and harder, like, you mm. know, to be trading with all, with all these rules, you know, you know, no households mixing. So obviously that was obviously the other big one. Mm. Um, and you know, something like Bunga Bunga, your average party size is, you know, 15, 20. So mm. rule of six is, you know, that was the first one to come in, but each one, you know, no households mixing in London, you know, got sight in the city, you know, People don't really go out in the city with their household. Yeah, they're at work. They go with friends. Sure, so, sure. Yeah, it was a real challenge. Um, yeah. But actually, I feel like when the vaccine was announced, and that that was a good day in November. And you know, I think when the um, you know the Pfizer sort of trials and efficacy was 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 way beyond what, what they thought, and then the sort mm. of program was announced. Um, you know, I think we started to be able to see the light. Sure. I said, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel for once wasn't an oncoming train. Yeah. Um, and then, and then from April, you know, they released the roadmap in February, and from April it was outside areas only, and we actually opened every outside area we had. I think we, you know, got got two venues which literally have twelve seats, and then one in one in the city which has a lot, has a hundred, and that did really, really well. Okay. Um, but we saw from there there was there was you know appetite, mm. and it felt different. Sure. And when we opened inside from May the 17th, actually suddenly all the people in their 50s were there too. And sales, um, you know, recovered a lot, lot faster this time round. Okay. And I think, you know, we're, we're lucky in a way because I think our, our offer is, is, is quite, is, is destination. You know, we are, we're not, just, we're not reliant on selling lots of beer, which, you know, it's the highest, you know, spend per head on the drinks. It's cocktail led. Sure. Uh, cocktails have grown enormously since 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 uh, the pandemic. You know, but people have been at home. They want they want something they can necessarily make at home. Yeah. Um. So yeah. No. And, and I think you know people are seeking out places. And you sure. know we've never really relied a, a, as a group on footfall. We've always been you know we always say right postcode wrong wrong street. Mm. You know we don't really get people <coughs> passing down Bruton Lane and in Mayfair to finding the original Mr. Fogs. You know mm. they find us on on the, on the Google map through our digital marketing they you know they hear about us through press and word of mouth so sure. I think people are making much more considered choices now which okay. is really interesting I think people are you know really really you know if they're gonna make a plan yeah you know, they want it to be to, to you know to be a good place which is which feels a bit different and sure. which actually they can then share you know on that on, on, on their social media sure sure I, I always think about there was, a, there, was a, there was a pub sort of opposite our office in, in Victoria and it was just you know, it was literally the closest pub to us. It was sticky floors, you know, warm beer. But we always used to pile in there. It's cheap drinks, but it was just outside the door. But if I was to assemble people and say, guys, we're going to meet here, you know, they'd look at me like I was mad. Yeah. And I think actually that's the reality in this post-COVID world is I think actually places which have relied on purely location, purely mm. being next to the tube station, next to the office, mm. are going to struggle more. Yeah. I want to come back to life post-COVID and yeah. business post-COVID. I think it's quite interesting. Yeah. 
Um, but I think you've done incredibly well and clearly it's taken so much resilience just to get through the last 18 months. And the fact that you know, you're bouncing back, I think it's really testament to you. But let's go back to the early days. Um, I'd be interesting to know, like, was hospitality and business like something that was always in you or it's developed kind of later on in life? I think it's, um, you know, I come from, my, my father's a doctor. I don't come from a, a family, of, you know, with, with sort of a history of business. But I think I was always, yeah, as a kid, very entrepreneurial. I was always like <coughs> three or four drawing cartoons and trying to sell them to the neighbours and, you know, we always had a little, you know, I set up a little, like, um, sort of cafe on the road selling cupcakes that, okay. you know, I, I had made. And so, yeah, I was always thinking like that. I think hospitality was, was something that, you know, I always liked, you know, hosting. Um, I've, always, I've always naturally enjoyed being with people. And I feel very lucky because it's, in hospitality, it encompasses so many passions, which is, you know, food, drink, travel, property, interior design mm. uh, as a people business and so you know it is, it is, it is an amazing an amazing sector but you know I sort of got in fell into it in a way slightly by accident I had a year out um, between between school and uni mm. and started doing all these various you know club nights in London mm. as a way to fund my fund my travels and you know they they did really well and you know the natural evolution then was to eventually sort of have our own place okay we got frustrated with purely filling up other people's places okay so at that early stage in uni when you were running and, and promoting those club yeah. nights did you have like a, a vision in mind kind of like five ten year plan or something or was it just kind of step by step or was it just passion kind of driving you uh, towards something absolutely no plan you okay. know I, i'd love to say you know we have this plan and and you know when we even set up our first you know actual bar our first inception group lease and you know we signed in uh, november 2008 and opened in february 2009 but yeah there was no plan definitely not but you know the, uh, we were just you know we, we saw gaps in the markets and we kind of create places that we wanted to go to and that, that we thought were interesting and different and actually yeah the business kept evolving and I think it's probably you know reopened two or three sites well yeah without really you know and then and then it was like right okay we've got we need to now focus we need to start looking at some of the brands because I remember I used to feel a little bit schizophrenic because we used to go from sort of marketing meetings between you know Bart's which sort of a speakeasy and 1980s club Maggie's Bunga Bunga are kind of Kitch over the top uh, Italian pizzeria, and, and then into Victorian England with Mr. Fogg's, and and um, you know, and, and I think whilst whilst we like all the sites to be different, I think we then started focusing actually well we need to replicate, you know, you know, not not replicate but have some brands with brand guidelines that we can you know cre creating a collection, not a chain, but okay, but it's taking step by step, spot. really. Yeah, and yeah. I, yeah, so I think I think that's really when when when, when more of a plan developed. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Interesting. I know you started with Kits initially yeah. in two thousand and seven, yeah. and that was an operating management agreement with Sloan Square Hotel. Yeah. So um, that was that was just you know we've been running all these nights and these 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 club nights and filling them and coming up with a theme and yeah we, you know we got you know we, we knew how to, to to get people into a place and putting in various parties and events but you know I think that we had some various situations where the club owners would change their mind and unbeknownst to us there was this one night where they'd actually booked in their own party of 100 and then we had 100 people of ours mm -hmm. on the street so oh. like Duncan and I actually sort of said to each other he's been my Duncan and I met through the club promoting days and been business partners ever since and you know we just said we've got to try and have more control um, and we heard about this hotel develop, being developed 
and I had a, had a basement which we knew used to be a bar, and we said to them, you know, what are you doing to this basement? You know, what what, what you know what are you doing? You know, you're gonna what are you gonna turn it back into a bar? They said, no, no, we're in the business of sleep. This is going to be housekeeper storage. Okay. And we said, well, you know, you can make a lot more money, you know. And I think unbeknown to them, we got a sound engineer into there, into the space, who kind of drew up this whole plan about putting in a lead-lined ceiling, and actually it could be pure, completely insulated from the from the hotel. And we also agreed, you know, came up with this proposal that, you know, if anyone, um, you know, was woken up and, you know, they could have their room refunded from RPNL. So it kind of gave them assurances for that. Okay. And then it was, yeah, take, we took them around various nightclubs, and these, these guys were in their 70s, and I think being to a nightclub, and it was a slightly awkward experience. But, you know, they, they, you know I think they then, um, you, know, you know, kind of started thinking about this was a, you know, potentially a good idea. And so we set up Kits, which was a nightclub, um, you know, did really, did really well. We just mm. soft launched it, it was just, just before, it was December 2006, we probably opened in 2007. Um, but it wasn't really Inception Group, it wasn't hugely differential. Mm. I think it was more constrained by what we had to create within that hotel space. Okay. So how did you build up the traction and the exposure at that stage, 2007? So social media, I guess, was just slowly yeah, yeah, developing. Yeah, starting to a bit with Facebook, yeah. but I think it was just more through promoting, like, you know, our okay. kind of, you know, getting people together and, you know, you know, promote like we'd done with other people's places, but this was our kind of our own. Sure. And, you know, we didn't own it, but we were perceived like owners. And we learned a lot from these, these hoteliers because they... You know, they were you know, very, you know, seasoned, experienced guys. And, you know, they were big into the budgeting processes and all that sort of thing. And that's definitely fashioned a lot of how, you know, the business, our business is currently operated. Because, you know, you know, as a promoter, you sort of, it was, you literally just kind of pile people into a club. And then you think, well, you know, vodka's cost 15 quid and we're selling it for whatever, you know, a, a bottle. We must be making money. But, of course, running a business is so much more fun. You know, your rent, your payroll, your rates. So... It was a shock to the system initially, mm. and you know, if I'm honest, we were thrown absolutely into the deep end and hadn't got a clue. But sure. we learned on the job pretty quickly. And okay. I think from then, it became sort of increasingly clear that we were, you know, we were we would we were taking a very small piece of the pie. And we wanted to set something up which was really our own. So sure. we we signed our first lease um, and an open baths, which really was the start of Inception Group. Okay. Okay. In, in, in 2009. Okay. Tell us about Duncan and that partnership. And firstly, was it a conscious decision that you wanted to find a partner to launch something, or was it just something that naturally and organically just developed? It naturally and organically developed. Actually, okay. I think I think what works really well with with, with Duncan and, and I is we we you know we have we have slightly. He's much more practical than I am, you know. Yeah, we, you know, he's you know probably more you know, financially and, and, and numbers driven. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think you know we, 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 we were basically I was running a Tuesday night at the club. He was running a Thursday night, and you know that everything's going to you know we were slight arch rivals, and I was always trying to you know outdo his Thursday night and the Tuesday, and he was trying to do the same on his, on his on his night. Okay. And then the week before Christmas. I booked the Wednesday through the owner, knowing that everything's busy in London the week before Christmas, and he booked it through the manager. And then they didn't want to choose between us, so they said work together. Uh-huh. And Duncan turned up with a team, kind of clicking people in and out, and checking that the money you know received was was the right amount. Something I'd never thought about doing. Yeah. So sort of said, well, maybe we should do, cool. you know, some bigger venues. And we started promoting, like you know, we did like some big nights at the Ministry of Sound and stuff. So okay. yeah, it was. You just the, clicked into place, kind of as yeah, a team. Yeah, we did more and more, and I think it's, it, it, you know, I think it's, it's really good. I think it's, I think if you're finding a business partner, it makes sense to try and find someone who's possibly good at the things you're not, or you know, you don't want to, you don't want to find. I think as, at the, t- the times you see 
business partnerships go wrong, I think, is when you, when you when two two people are, are too similar mm. going to business together. Mm. But yeah, all these years later, I mean, it's you know we're you know it's it's, it's, it's worked it's worked very very well. Okay. Um, and uh, you know I think we have a lot of mutual respect. Sure. Very good. Very good. So Bart Stand launched two thousand and nine. Uh, I know it was in an apartment yeah. building, yeah. and you developed a speakeasy concept, which I guess made sense in terms of the space. But yeah. how, how did that all come about? Well, so so I'd seen this speakeasy concept in the US. Please don't tell. Um, and there was this amazing sort of thing. You went into a to a phone kiosk, and you were picked up a receiver, and then the back opened. You're in the secret bar. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. And then weirdly, Duncan got a call from this guy who. Is was always trying to sell him something. Um, he would, you know, he would have some, he would, I don't know, like some oil painting. He, you know, he's just a bit of a bit of a wheeler dealer. Yeah. And he said, "Look, I've heard about this residence bar um, for sale in Chelsea Cloisters. It turned out this bar had been on the market for a year and a half, and no one wanted it, and mm. no one could make a success of it because it was literally on a very sleepy street in a very sleepy apartment building." Um, and there was just this residence bar, but it did have a license, it allowed you to bring people in externally. And we just suddenly thought, actually, this could almost be, you know, perfect. This, you know, this is this is sort of could be could be this secret bar. And you know, we had to personally guarantee that lease. So, mm. um, you know, if the business had gone under, a bit know, of a risk, we'd, we'd have been personally mm. liable. Mm. Um, and you know, we, you know, it was, you know, there were, there were definitely a couple of moments I think before we opened that I, you know, you had that worry and that panic. I mean, to remember just. You know, walking through the building, there was was not a soul walking down the streets. You know, the cleaners were there polishing the, the floor. They looked like they were sort of you know moments from death. Yeah. Um, and there was this bar uh, just there, and I thought, crikey, you know, have we lost the plot? And I remember actually bringing a drinks brand because I sort of I met this drinks brand and sort of sold them this this dream of Narnia, the secret bar that you walk through, and I think at the heads, they sort of, you know, they were they were kind of thinking about it, with Great Gatsby, and you know, they had all these visions. Ooh. So this was the first speakeasy in London at the time, yeah. so there was very little it's kind of benchmarks new. or reference and, and, points. And then I showed them the site before we'd done the, the, the deal, so yeah. before we'd done the, the decor, before we'd, before we'd kind of changed it. And they just went from being very excited to just being absolutely, absolutely silent. Wow. And just didn't get it at all. But. Yeah. Yeah, we, we just did it on an absolute. We didn't have much money to do it. We did the the the, the entire initial investment was thirty grand. We did it from wow. car boot sales, um, Duncan over there, Kempton Market, um, eBay, buying a load of stuff. Worked with a friend who's a graffiti artist to do it at the front of the bar. We wow. kept we had to keep the bar top and everything. It made it really fun and different. And I think mm. it was interesting. I think it was that time where it was post um, sort of credit crunch, um, and I think that. You know, pre-credit crunch, everyone had been talking about that three million pound refurb or that five million pound refurb. And actually, post post-credit crunch, it was more about you know doing things you know inexpensively. So you mm. know, um, you know, and it wasn't it, it wasn't about being flash and and, mm. and overstated. And mm. and I think you know people like the fact it was it was almost like quite reminiscent of the crash of of twenty nine. You know, in, in in the states and, yeah. and how the speaky speakeasy, you know, through prohibition yeah. and movement launch then. So sure. it sort of felt quite timely and actually if people were going to be drinking or having a party, it almost felt like it needed to be kind of away from public eye. Absolutely. And yeah, just, you know, we we, we did it with a really fun way and it's like, you know, all our um, drinks were in, were in teapots. 
rolled all our sort of sherry cocktails. And I now cringe that now. It's, you know, it's so generic. But at the time, it was completely new. Mm. And our kind of exposed light bulbs, again, that look was, was really new. Okay. Um, and it was just, you know, because we were buying teapots from Carboos House for a quid each. So it's actually, for us, it's just a cheaper way of rather than buying jugs from a, a catalogue. Okay. I think with Barts, yeah, it was interesting. We, we did a, I remember we looked at, um, we looked at 10 bars within a kind of 10 minute walk. And I printed out pictures of them, put them all on a sheet of paper. And I said to a few people, where's that? And no one said, those are 10 different places. And everyone was ordering the same decor from the same catalogue. Wow. And... Um, we just did it, you know, we, if you put Bart's on the page, it completely pinged out. Okay. So did you have a design inspiration from somewhere, like in the States or something, or it was just out of necessity you had to go to bargain shops and so on? Or? It was complete necessity. Was it? And okay. Yeah, and it was not, it was funny. It was like, I think a good example, I probably had a bit more of a traditional idea. Duncan had an idea of, you know, something a bit more contemporary and the kind of mishmash worked. And you yeah. know, there's a great US restaurateur, Danny Meyer. He always says that, you know, creating a concept like writing music. You know, the notes are, are, are predetermined, but the order you put them in creates something unique. And I think, you know, it was a, you know, ideas quite often an amalgamation of ideas. And mm. you know, there was a there's a great little restaurant down in down in um, Devon that Duncan's had been to called the Winking Broad, and they had this fancy dress trunk, and that was one of the things we put in, really inexpensive. And I remember one of the first reviews we had. We got a load of press, and you know, Twitter was taking off, so there was this real buzz about it. Mm. But they said. We never gave up the address. Our tagline was London's worst kept secret. Okay. And they said, you know, we tried to find it. We ended up in the kitchen at the local Chinese restaurant. We eventually got it there. I saw the fancy dress trunk. I thought, how stupid. An hour later, I was drinking a martini dressed as a penguin. <laughs> you know, but it's, okay. um, you know, I think it, it was that kind of icebreaker. And yeah. I think when you've got no money to spend, you have to think about everything. I mean, we had, we had a, a key card lock um, on the door, I remember ringing the hotel company. Uh, there was a company who supplied these, and they got very excited about their order. Less excited when the order was for one, um, and that was on the door. And then regulars got rewarded with a key card. Okay. And they'd be a real regular. You got your own tank in above the bar. Wow. Um, but there was no membership for sale or anything. You know, drinks prices we started you know really inexpensively. Okay. They have slowly creeped up over, over the years, but no, just you know, buzz. Uh, the buzz for Bart's just was, was pretty instant. And I remember okay. Duncan and I turning up on the first Saturday and couldn't get a table. And I was like, wow. great. Amazing, amazing. That was fantastic. It was such an instant success as well. Yeah. Um, would you say there's kind of one area of focus um, that you really concentrated on at those early days? Like, was it the experience or the service or the product or like one thing that really stood out to kind of uh, yeah, fuel that success? Yeah, I think all elements are really important. Yeah. I think that, um, yeah, I mean, our, our mission statement from day one was, you know, to create unique and memorable experiences. Mm. And experience has always been front and centre. And it's funny, I feel like, you know, experience wasn't such a key buzzword then. And now, again, it feels slightly overused. So mm. You have to keep reminding people, you know, that was our, has been our mission statement since 2009. But yeah, yeah the experience was key. Yeah. A big word for us is hospitality, not service. Mm. You, know, you know, I think it's, it's service you can get from a vending machine. Um, service is how you get A to B and hospitality is a way that you, you make people feel and mm. I think that that is sort of big you know a, a big philosophy within our staff it was just actually a lot of the staff you know never served a drink didn't really have that drinks knowledge but were lovely smiley friendly people and sure. I think actually that's the most important thing you, you, you can kind of teach someone to carry a tray but you can't teach someone to smile and have that have that you know personality so absolutely that was fundamental and just, I think, just sort of fun and escapism. I think, you know, we, we felt like so many places were just a bit 
dry and taking themselves too seriously and you went to a cocktail bar at the bar and you felt like you were, being, you were back at school being lectured about what you can and can't do and drink and they just all took themselves a bit too seriously. Whereas, sure. you know, I, I think, you know, I think certainly product's important and, you know, especially with our brands like Mr. Fox, but ultimately people just, you know, they're choosing to come to you to, to escape. And, sure, and, and that's really important to remember. Absolutely, I think, like you said, it's it's making people feel good. Yeah. And I guess post recession, it's giving people a space and an environment to do that. Yeah, I think, I think so. You know, I, 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 you know, Danny Meyer again. You know, to, to, to quote him again, but I really do think he gets things right. And you know, his book "Setting the Table" we give to give to managers when they start. Mm. But you know, you, you know, you can you can go to a restaurant and, and everything can technically be perfect. That you leave feeling quite empty, mm. and I think actually, you know, the lovely thing, you know, especially now where people have got so used to staying at home, and they can have restaurant quality, you know, food delivered to them in mm. service. Yeah. Um, and you know, but what they can't get is they can't get hospitality at home. Sure. And and that is something fundamental. And you know, it's just a, you know, as a, as a member of wait, the waiting staff, you, you can really you can really make someone's evening. Yeah. Um, and you know, and it's lovely to see that you know that interaction yeah it's a really good point yeah. um so what kind of challenges did you have i'm sure there was numerous in the early days like oh so, so many challenges yeah. you know from you know getting you know, kind of robbed by you know one of our, our you know our, our maintenance staff at the start you know not realizing i mean you know we, we we you know just naively putting in a licensing application um, in Barts within the building within the first few months without consulting the residents before, okay. which led to so many objections on sure. the front page um, evening standard news wow. story. Um, but you know we, we were green, and you learn you learn through experience. And, sure. You know that you know, but you know the you know I think you know you do learn from your mistakes, and you know we're still still making them, but um, probably you know probably less of them and it's just trying not to make the same ones sure. again but and again it's the perseverance so you just keep going and learning yeah, and developing just learning every day I mean, yeah. you know i think we keep keep learning but you know there's you know it's it's, it's a you know it's a, it's a tough business hospitality and mm. you know you're you're dealing with um you know lots of different people across across the week and um you know we're, sure. we're constantly learning but you know it's definitely it's not a straight easy path it was lots and lots of bumps, bumps along the way. Sure, sure, very good. So, off the back of the success of Bart's, then you launched Maggie's a year later. Yeah. Um, I, why? Yeah, I look back on that and think okay. you know, it was quick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and I think you continued going along that route pretty much one a year almost. Yeah. Um, so, why um, develop a new brand and a new concept, and how did that all come about? So we'd been, you know, we'd had a nightclub before with kits. Um, our, our bar, Bart's, had a one o'clock license after we'd got, we actually got that licensing application somehow um, uh, and got that extension. So we took it on as a midnight, we got a one o'clock. And then, you know, we had lots of people wanting to go to a club and they sort of thought we'd, we'd been promoting clubs before, so we thought we had to have one. And we saw this old bar called Bondi and it was a bit of an awkward space and it had this big sort of VIP room and it was sort of like a bit of a corridor. We just had this idea actually you could turn the VIP room into the loose and knock it all out and probably double the size of the space. And yeah, this idea came to do an 80s club and it was just like, how could we it'd be a bit different again? Everyone's playing the same music. Again, you go to every club, same chart music. There's no real point of difference. They all kind of gain that same interior. I think something we always try to do with our interiors is they're quite, you know, they're timeless. Mm. So you're not having to, you know, because actually if you create something that looks like it's 2021, 
in five years' time, you know, when it's twenty twenty six, you're you know, you're gonna be outdated. Whereas, you know, Maggie's is like a time capsule. We always say there's an avalanche and you dug it up, you would say this is, you know, almost it's been here since the eighties. Okay. And we had a lot of fun with it, Ruby's Cube tables, really kitsch, all the big sort of eighties stars and memorabilia all over the walls, sort of a big you know, grotesque fish tank. Um, you know, it was just, it was, it was, it was fun and silly, really over garnished cocktails. The menu was in a viewfinder, um, umbrellas, sparklers, um, waiters, uh, uh, waiters on, on roller skates. Um, and literally played 80s music. And then this amazing DJ who was with us from the start and decided he moved back to Spain, but he, he came back and was, was there when we reopened on the 19th. So, you know, with us for 11 years. And he was a DJ from the 80s, um, and he, he only played 80s music. Okay. And yeah, it, it was just, you know, it's such a great decade. Mm. And I've got to be honest, at the time we thought, is this, is this, is this 80s music, you know, is that going to continue forever? Yeah. And, and, it, and it has, and people just... It's just a fun time. It's fun, it's it. fun, it's just, it's, it's, you know, it's been amazing to see that business reopen, because obviously it was mothballed for, you know, well over a year. Sure. But, you know, and, it, and it, again, that, that, that really, really works. It's, it's quite near Bart's, so people used to leave Bart's and come on. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we, you know, the name is obviously quite tongue-in-cheek, but we were trying to think of a name which, which was sort of... Because yeah, there's so many people famous at the beginning of the 80s or the late 80s or people like Madonna who were as big in the 90s, whereas Margaret Thatcher was Prime Minister 79 to 90, so mm. she encapsulates that whole decade. And yeah. we thought there was just something quite amusing about, about naming it after her and... Uh, we used a spitting image puppet um, as our sort of as, as our logo. Okay, very interesting. Very interesting. I'm intrigued to understand a bit more about your uh, developing the idea stage and putting flesh to the bones in terms of the concept. So it sounds like, and you've said it a couple of times, where you're kind of looking at the industry or sector or a particular part of it, and you almost see a problem or something that could be developed further. Is that how it works? And then do you have like a reference point, i.e. the 80s or something, where you kind of benchmark against or develop something based on that? Or how does that whole process work? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. Like, you know, definitely, you know, I think I think all of the above really, actually. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I think I think with Bunga Bunga, it was definitely a frustration from us that there weren't many fun places you could go to in London for okay. dinner. Mm. Everywhere you went to for dinner, you had to go to sort of somewhere, you know, maybe a bit serious. Um, for dinner, and then you had to go on to a to a bar or a club, you know, later on. Whereas we tried to create this one stop shop, somewhere you could go for drinks, have dinner, and stay for the night. Okay. And we always used to say people used to drink, eat, and go to the theatre, and now people wanted theatre whilst they ate and drunk. So it was kind of having that show and entertainment and Ooh. live music. So so that was through a gap in the market, and then lots of ideas. You know, you know, it's an amalgamation, and you know, we have some brilliantly creative people who are part of our team, some who've been with us since, since the start and, you know, we put lots of different things down on, on, on paper and one, one idea quite often can lead to another and you don't adopt that idea, but actually, but maybe that doesn't work, but what if we did this? And and I think actually a reference point in, in, in time really does help. So like mm. Mr. Fogg's is based on that Victorian era and travel and there's lots you can do within that and mm. also it's fiction. So we can make up characters and we can, we can, we can have fun. Maggie's, yeah, it's like that period. So the reference point is... You know, the 80s hairstyles, the shoulder pads, you know, what the cocktails look in that period. Um, sure. So, yeah, there's you know, lots of different ways, and sometimes okay. the ideas are an amalgamation. So, like, with, when we, we created Cahoots, I really wanted to do, you know, because it was an underground bar, and I just said, look, 
what we've always tried to do is turn a disadvantage into an advantage. So, so Bart's being a speakeasy, Bart hidden away. The previous people were all trying, were all trying to create signs on the main road saying "bar inside." Mm. We're like, no, no, it's hidden. So let's play to those strengths and work with that. We'll work with that. Okay. In the same way, an underground bar. You know, you get a lot of people who have an underground bar. They're putting in fake, you know, lighting to make it look like the street level. It's actually what has to be underground. Yeah. An underground tube station. Mm. So, so let's put in a tube. And Duncan really wanted to do this 1940s concept. We ended up doing that 1940s underground tube station. Okay. So there's two ideas sort of amalgamated, and, and uh, you know, lots of lots of things happen that way, and you know, it's great. Now, you know, we do, we do so much in-house in terms of design and stuff, and, you know, the nicest thing is some of the best ideas, or a lot of the best ideas now, aren't ours, which is great. Okay. You know, just, just surrounded by brilliantly creative people. Amazing, amazing. And you mentioned experience, obviously, quite a lot, and it's obviously a core part of your concept and business. Yeah. And obviously that word is thrown around a lot um, yeah, everywhere in society in general, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's clear that you have a lot of attention to detail in terms yeah. of all the elements that you're yeah. focusing on and developing. Um, there's also this growth of the experiential gaming yeah. sector, which seems to be booming at the moment yeah. and continuing to grow. Passive socializing. And yeah. So how do you, I guess, stay ahead of that and stand out in that uh, environment? And what's your opinion of this gaming sector as well? I think it's, I think it's great. I mean, I think, I think you know, Whilst during the pandemic, I wished at times we had something we could send on the back back of a, a, a scooter, um, and, and you know we didn't. You know we did we did our cocktail delivery, and we tried to make that experiential. So we had you scanned a QR code, and it sort of you know it was being filmed with the venue, and it took you through how to make it. But I think yeah, I think I think look, experience is, is key. I think you know the, the, the generation now, um, you know millennials and younger, it's it's people. Are, you know, it's less about material things. It's like must do rather than must have. Mm. Um, and I think also there is that one up and shift through social media. People kind of living vicariously through that through these channels. Sure. I think you know. I think I think competitive socialising really interesting. Is really interesting. I think you know you can overdo it, and there's sort of there's early adopters um, like bounce. You know, who are doing ping pong really early, and then there's you know, people who are a bit a bit late to the party. You know, it's an area we might consider, but within the realms of. Our brand, you know, okay. quite fun on Mr. Fogs to, you know, to to think about, you know, whiff whack rather rather than you know, in croquet, and you know, there's there's definitely elements of it. Sure, but yeah, I think it's I think it's exciting, and I think actually, you know, for the high street to survive, you know, it's going to have to change. And I think people, you know, that they're shopping online, habits have changed, um, and to actually pull people to us to you know to a physical space. Mm experience is going to be fundamental in making them do that and I okay. think even retail is going to have to become much more experiential you know if you're, if you're, if you're going to go and buy kitchen equipment you almost need to go in and there needs to be chef displays on, on how it works and, and mm. things like that yeah I mean even you know like family's kids store is an experience mm. you, know, you go there it always has been there's people doing demos and things and it's fun and it's you know you get a lot more from that mm. um, than you would by shopping online you know it's not you can't completely replicate that absolutely online and i think that's that's going to be a fundamental shift in the coming years absolutely and again i think as you said it's it's really how you make people feel and creating that positive space for people really. yeah, and i think it's you know what's fundamental too with all of this is is is, is really believing in your concept mm. and you know you you can't be embarrassed and you can't be half-hearted you know mm. you've got to go full hog and you know robin our ops director who's brilliant is you know, he is very, um, you know, you know, he looks at, you know, look Victorian posture 
and you know, you know, within Mr. Fogs, and it's sort of part of the training of you know when people see a mobile phone, it's what's, what's that? And, you know, the little the little touches. Yeah. But you know, they, they, those details really matter, and you know, in, in each Mr. Fogs, there's different name plaques of different members of the Fogg family. And actually, one of the nicest reviews we ever had was, you know, every time I go, I notice something different, and you know, probably it's probably only ten percent you notice some of those small things, but it really matters, and I think actually the staff notice. Okay. Um, but it's really believing in it and really, you know, because there's a very fine line with the concept between sure. Disney mm. and what, you know, what we feel we do. Mm. And you, you kind of got to walk that tightrope really carefully. Sure. Makes sense. Makes sense. So tell us about then your, your growth strategy. Obviously, we have 12 sites now just opened. Yeah. Um, firstly, in terms of location. So you're London centric, yeah. obviously. Uh, I guess that's a very conscious decision. Yeah. Uh, why take that approach? And also, in terms of the brands, so you have multiple Mr. Yeah. Foggs, as an example, um, but multiple brands. Yeah. So um, why take that approach? Well, I think, as I said at the beginning, there wasn't really a plan. You know, yeah. there was like gaps in the market, like this would be great. There's no speakeasy, we want to create this fun restaurant, we want to create this different sort of club. And I think now, you know, there is more of a strategy and it's very much creating collections, not chains. So okay. the hope is by going, you know, there's six Mr. Foggs, but the hope is by going to one, you want to visit them all, not by going to one, you've done them all. So okay. you know, that is that is very much um, key to philosophy. London, because we know it really, really well. Um, yep. Grew up here, and you know that's kind of we know where our where our core market is currently. We definitely yep. go beyond London at some point. But I think in terms of you know strategy with with sites, it was like we could only get the sites at the beginning that nobody else wanted. Mm. I mean, we had no history track track record. We had no history. We didn't have great covenants. Uh, we couldn't afford big rents. So, you know, literally, I mean, Bart's, we first signed it, was a £10,000 a year rent. Wow. I remember our lawyer ringing and saying, um, That's a mistake. Oh, mistake. <laughs> per year, you mean per month. You're missing a zero. Oh, no, 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 that is per year. Huh. And similarly, you know, Maggie's was, 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 was a low rent and, and Bunga Bunga. And, you know, it was, it was sort of, it, it was right, as I said, right, right postcode, wrong street kind of by necessity, because it's all we could get, but we then created these real destinations and really over-traded these spaces. Mm. And then I think um, as time's gone on, you know, we've, we've you know, luckily some, some, some great landlords, I think, have offered us some, some more prime sites. Obviously, our rent as a percentage of turnover has increased over the years. It was mm. very, very small. I think, I think for the first three years, we were like 1.8%, wow. which is tiny. Wow. When you consider that you know probably an industry norm is near a ten, absolutely. So, and obviously, business rates follow us that as well. So it's another exactly. big so, jump. So it was good, and you know, it'd be lovely that I continue. But I think you know we've been, you know, we've been offered more and more prime, what we call prime sites, and so you know, I think we're not scared of destination sites, but but actually, it's nice to, to have a mixture. Makes sense. Makes sense. And how is the business doing now? So post COVID, and, and how do you see the market changing? It's kind of constantly changing week on week at the moment. I think yeah. I mean, for now, you know. We are, you know, the sales have, have recovered really, really well. Um, I think better than better than we expected. Um, I think, you know, international tourism hopefully is going to start, you know, I think from this month, uh, October, yeah. the, the UAE is opening up. Um, obviously, America has started to open up. And I think that will that will really help. And, you know, it's tourism comes in lots of shapes and forms, but the international business traveler was quite key to certain brands of ours. Sure. People were seeing moving into the office more. And, I, you know, I think, even from the April the twelfth, we were having very strong weekends because people were travelling in. But actually, you know, the early weekdays were quieter, and those those are growing. So, you know, I think we're all slightly nervous about you know 
you know, the, the, you know, whether we get through this winter. I think actually there'll be a lot more confidence. To, you know, we we need to deliver Christmas. Christmas is a very, very important trading period for us as a company. Mm. So you know, we didn't have a Christmas last year. You know, that was a very painful period, and, and we need to deliver. You know, we need to deliver a good Christmas. And I think if we can get through this winter without too harsh restrictions or another lockdown, I think we'll feel a lot more confident. But okay. I think yeah, I think things are going to change. You know, working part working from home is here to stay. Yeah. Um, culturally, there's been a shift, but I think we're well placed because we are destination, and I think the days that people are in the office, they'll make plans to socialise more. Because I think that's, and certainly that's something as a company we're going to be doing, and I think that's an element people really missed. Mm. You know, I remember in May, bumping into some people in one of our sites. I said, "Oh, you're back in the office," and he's with me, and they're like, "No, no, we're, we're all coming in once a week, you know, just on their own back to see each other and have those after work drinks." Yeah. Um, and you know, so. Yeah, I think it's you know I think you know I, th- I think it's going to be tough you know for those businesses like Pret a Manger which you know need volume and yep. you know and if the footfall's down their their revenue's down but I sure. think that you know, their strategy is probably going to going to be moving to nearer where people live rather than where where people where, where, where people work. Absolutely, absolutely, I completely agree. Um, be interested to get your thoughts on the staffing issue yeah. at the moment. Obviously, it's pretty severe. I think you have over 400 staff, is that right? Yeah, yeah we did yeah. improvement on it. We're yeah. approaching that again now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's, 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 a, it's a huge challenge. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm you know, not, not, a, not a fan of, 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 of Brexit. Um, yeah. And, you know, you know, I think that is always going to cause a lot of trouble. And obviously, uh, COVID has expedited issues that we were going to we were going to have, I think, 700,000 EU nationals left London. And also, you've got to remember, for a sector that was shut, people, of course, are going to transition to different sectors. Mm. Um, look, I think it's, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's really tough. Recruitment used to be a thing we didn't really have to think about. Mm. As you, you know, as an operator, it was always, you know, friends, friends of the student, your staff yep. who just kept coming. There was a constant flow of, of people walking through the door. Mm. And there isn't that. And I know the government's talking a lot about you know, investing in, in the UK workforce. And I think long term, you know, yes, I'd like to see that happen. But I think actually a lot of work needs to go in for, for people to see that hospitality is a great career choice. Mm. And that's taking time. You mm. know, there's going to be, you know, years before that bears fruit. And look, learning development is something we're as a company going to really invest in um, and, and really progressing people, you know, within the organisation and showing them there is a career path. Okay. This isn't, this isn't a... You know, this isn't a this sort of a job. This isn't something in between things. This is a, possibly a career. Sure. But I really hope. I think short term. I, you know, I think the government are going to have to bring in some sort of visa system. It's just, it's just, it's, it's just going to be too much of a handbrake. Sure. Know, they don't. Sure. That's well, changing a culture really, which takes a lot of time and a perception of a sector. It's going to take years. Years. Yeah. Years. And and you know, I, I think sometimes we sort of we all pat ourselves on the back and say, London, you know, have we done well? We're the leading place to eat or drink. You know, so much of that is, is the influence of people from Europe and, you know, French chefs and, you know, Italian bartenders and, you know, yeah. we, we have a lot to thank our European neighbours for the success of for sure. London and the UK's, you know, hospitality sector. Sure, sure. Well, it sounds like it's positive and exciting times for you uh, going forward now. Um, where do you see the group going over the next few years? Do you have, like set growth plans or are you taking a step at a time at the moment no i think we do i mean i think for us it's we're very excited i think i think um you know we really feel like we've only just you know started i think you know it was uh you know you you, you we've emerged from the crisis 
uh, sort of bruised um, uh, and battered, but 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 not defeated, and I think with an e- e- even stronger resolve. Um, and yeah, I think it's you know I think in London there's there's such an opportunity, especially now in this post-COVID time, to mm. pick up many more sites. You know there are better deals. Um, I think you know we, our focus is certainly going to be London for the short term, um, but. No, we, we can we think we can prove that actually there can be two different fogs concepts opposite, opposite each opposite each other in the centre okay. of town okay. uh, with a, with a different twist. Okay. Um, so we, you know there's so many parts of London where we haven't we haven't gone into, and I think yeah we we would certainly explore other UK cities or cities internationally. Okay. But I think for the next two or three years probably London is going to be our focus. Um, you know we launched a gin club last night, and we've got some more things bubbling. So now I think you know barring any more lockdowns. Yeah. And COVID being in the rearview mirror, I think we we feel pretty bullish uh, about the years ahead. Amazing, amazing, exciting times. Yeah. Um, so, if you had one piece of advice for somebody potentially with an idea and looking to start a, a hospitality or a bar business, anything in particular that you'd recommend? I, I would say start really small. You okay. know, I'm sometimes amazed by people their first business they want to take a ten thousand square foot unit with huge rooms. You know, and maybe when I say start small, do it as a pop up. Have a street food van. Get a following. Start start your Instagram account. Be simple. Try and do five things well rather than twenty things averagely. Know who your customer is going to be. You know, we, we you know when we even started the first few venues, we you know profiled the exact sort of people that would go. And I think you really need to know who you're going to you know who you're selling to. And I think believe in it. And I think you know if you if you don't believe in what you're doing, you're not going to get other people to believe in it. So really believe in what you're offering. Okay. Good advice. Well, congratulations, Charlie. I think it's an amazing story and super successful. And I wish you the best of luck in the future. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. Thanks very much. Great.